0: Packed stadiums, hard-fought games, boisterous, mostly maskless fans. The National Football League kicked off its season this past weekend almost as if coronavirus never happened. But the hugely profitable sports league didn't get to this point by ignoring the pandemic. Far from it. With careful planning, the NFL has shown us all how to live in a world with COVID-19. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times, Today's Monday, September 13th, 2021. Today, as the NFL season gets on its way, we delve into its coronavirus experiment, its success, its failures, and lessons for the rest of us. Our guest is LA Times NFL writer Sam Farmer. Sam knows his stuff. He's been honored by the Pro Football Hall of Fame for his work. He recently wrote a big story titled, The NFL had a secret COVID-19 plan. Here's why the league didn't need it. Sam, welcome to The Times. Thank you, Gustavo. Happy to be here. Let's start with March of last year when the first coronavirus shutdowns happened. The National Basketball Association, National Hockey Leagues were into their regular seasons. Major League Baseball was about to start. They all stopped for months. The NFL was technically off. Their season usually starts in late summer. So when do they start to address COVID-19 amongst themselves?
1: Well, uh, we we'll go back to March 10th of 2020, and uh, of course, it's in the atmosphere, and people are talking about it, but nobody knows the severity of what's going to come down, and or a few people do. Certainly, the NFL is focused on its TV negotiations. It's just coming out of its collective bargaining agreement negotiations with the players. They had agreed to a deal, so they're sort of celebrating, and they're coming off the successful Super Bowl that they had in Miami with... Um, Kansas City beating San Francisco. So Roger Goodell and a group of executives, Brian Rollap, who's in charge of all broadcast media, they're in the uh, on the West Coast, actually. They were first in Los Angeles. They fly up to the Bay Area and meet with some of the tech companies, meet with Google and YouTube. And one of the first things they notice is this eerie quiet on the Google campus. And it's almost empty now, the tech industry is kind of ahead of the curve, and Roger takes this as, wow, this is the first sort of trappings of a budding pandemic that I'm seeing. And so it was, it was really sort of jarring. And the 11th of March is when everything started to happen. You had the World Health Organization declare. You've got the Ivy League canceling its sports for the rest of the year. The Big Ten says, We're going to go on with the uh, basketball tournament, but it's going to be without fans. And you have that fateful NBA game when everybody was just sort of disoriented and streaming out of the arena. And so all the stuff went down on March 11th. As they're flying back, these executives are getting these pings on their cell phones that, wow, everything's shutting down. They realize, hey, we can't do the draft in Las Vegas. They had planned this big extravaganza where they were going to have boats take guys out to... Take the draft picks out at the fountains there. But they realize, hey, we are going to have to reassess that the league realized we're going to have to pivot here and probably go to a virtual draft.
0: When you talk about Roger, we're, of course, talking about NFL commissioner Roger Goodell. The draft is an annual big, huge party for the NFL. Really, you know, it gets streamed, gets shown on ESPN And the league tells everyone, like, hey, we're going to have to do this draft virtually. No one was happy. No players, no fans, no coaches, no executives were happy with that decision at first.
1: No, yeah, and if we we roll back the tape a little bit, Roger Goodell uh, was the one who brought the draft into primetime and really made it a tentpole event of the offseason, the tentpole event of the offseason. So popular, and particularly the first two nights, which are in primetime, and it's a big deal. In fact, the NFL draft in terms of audience, outdraws the NBA Finals, outdraws basically everything but an NFL game. I mean, it's a huge sports event and cities bid for it and everything. And Las Vegas, having just gotten an NFL team, was really excited about this. They realized, hey, we're gonna have to go to a virtual draft. Well, the NFL's never had a virtual draft and, and football coaches, as you know, they're the, the, it's like turning around a cruise ship. They're really resistant to change. And so telling them there's gonna be a virtual draft was really problematic. I'll tell you why it was problematic too. Once the pandemic settled in a little bit and people were looking at their new reality, they said, hey, you have certain states and localities where teams can use their facilities and others like a lot of the California teams couldn't even meet in groups. And so there was already disparity in fairness
0: Everyone's upset about this virtual draft, but then something interesting happens. The virtual draft actually becomes a success, and it's driven by Roger Goodell. So set up who he is, who is he, and why was he probably the least likely person to make a virtual draft, something that was actually cool?
1: Yeah, I mean, Roger Goodell started off in in PR for the New York Jets, worked his way up through the food chain in the NFL in the 90s under Paul Tagliabue, the previous commissioner Roger Goodell oversaw Los Angeles so he was the guy who went through all the fits and starts of trying to bring a team back to Los Angeles became the commissioner in 2006 and he was the law and order commissioner and so he uh, made a lot of people mad with uh, and there were a lot of scandals with deflate gate and bounty gate in New Orleans and you know sanction teams it's a weird job it's a weird job being the commissioner in the NFL because you got 32 bosses and yet you have the ability to sanction each of them and basically you're roundly despised throughout the league by fans cuz everybody thinks you're against their
0: team anytime he shows up in the public he's getting booed totally and, and during the virtual draft, all of a sudden, he's a regular guy. He starts off with his suit, starts getting the more casual clothes, starts getting just the T-shirts. There's m and thrown around. You know, it gets, pardon the pun, viral. Then after that, the rest of the NFL is thinking, well, maybe we should trust Commissioner Goodell on whatever plans he has for COVID.
1: That was the first real major sporting event, if you will, since the start of the pandemic. And... Part of that draft that just seems so rough-hewn and so normal and uh, comforting in that regard. And he's sitting in the basement of his house. He's doing it in the basement of his house. He's got his favorite chair there, and you know, the man cave. He's got, he's got a big jar of M&Ms. They're kind of goofing around like the production staff, skeleton staff there, is dumping out like hundreds of M&Ms between picks to, uh, to see if anybody notices that Roger Goodell would be scarfing down just fistfuls of M&Ms. And they got this Mike Ditka bobblehead that they're moving around behind. But it's a smash hit because of the imperfections of it. And Roger is sort of stumbling over words and, and mispronouncing some names and everything. But that made him more human. And it was a message to the rest of the league. Look, we can still be popular. We're doing things totally different. We're going to have to completely redo our plan. But we can still be the number one sports league. And so that's what they had heading into training camps.
0: We'll have more after this break. Sam. So now let's get to the start of the 2020 NFL season. Even before the training camps, commissioner Roger Goodell says we're going to do the entire season on time. We're going to play it completely. We're not going to cancel any games. I have a plan. What's the plan?
1: Well, the plan was exude maximum confidence that they could get this done. And that was the whole thing. But secretly behind the scenes, he had the schedulers working every possible scenario and they even came up with a 10 game schedule where they'd start on Thanksgiving Day and push the Super Bowl all the way into mid March. But he didn't tell, he didn't even tell the teams about this. He just wanted to be entirely confident to be able to play this. Now, their plan was not to be zero COVID. Their plan was to test, 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 test players every day, test anyone associated with the facility every single day. And then try to intercept any positive cases and contact trace as best they could and so they could get the people around those players. And the way that they came up with the contact tracing uh, was kind of novel, and that was they found a German company that uh, created these chips, connects on chips, they called them, and they were originally designed for sports to figure out, like, what route is a guy running exactly? How precise is the route that he's running? But they, they reprogrammed these chips to measure the distance, or if somebody got within six feet of you, it would set off a light or sometimes an alarm. They would disable the alarm because it'd be so annoying. But anyone in the facility had to wear these chips either around their neck, on their wrists, in their pocket, anywhere, whether they were on the field or anything. And so the, the goal was, hey, if somebody tests positive, then we'll go back and all this stuff is being recorded. We'll, we'll find all the close contacts with this person and we'll quarantine them as well. And they got pretty effective of it and it went well for the first several weeks. And then they had their first games that they had to postpone and they were able to rejigger the schedule to get those games in. But it was certainly a problem. But one thing they, they learned over the course of this thing was, uh, uh, because they kept very close notes, nobody was doing a study this extensive. So the CDC was very involved in watching this. NFL was providing data to the CDC because nobody else was testing every single day and then tracking people when they turned positive. The NFL learned that COVID did not jump the line of scrimmage. Like in this contact sport, you did not have teams infecting other teams. And the whole thing about six feet didn't really work out. They realized the six-foot barrier between you and other people was kind of arbitrary. Where they would see people turn positive is if they were in a confined space together, even for a short period of time. You could be hitting a guy all day in football and not turn positive. But if you spent three minutes in a car with that person, Uh, you could turn positive. That was very valuable to the CDC to learn that information.
0: And the NFL was really stringent on close contact rules, even if it angered teams. You wrote about the Denver Broncos having to start like basically a ninth string quarterback because all of their quarterbacks broke those close contact rules by being in a film room together.
1: Yeah, that was something that came out and it caused a big stir in Denver when I came out with that in the story because All along, the excuse from Drew Locke, the starting quarterback, was, hey, I'm really sorry. I screwed up. I pulled down my mask to eat. And that's what got me in trouble. And then all the the other three quarterbacks in the quarterback room were all close contacts with me and are bad, whatever. What actually happened is these guys took off those connection devices I talked about, put them in the corners, four corners of the room, and then sat together to watch film. And so they willingly broke protocol. So whereas the league was making concessions to move other games around, the league was not going to do that for the Broncos because they weren't going to move games around for competitive reasons, like you lost an entire position group. Even if it's the most important position group on the field, the quarterbacks, they were only going to do it for health and safety reasons. So these quarterbacks were not positive, they were not COVID positive. But they broke the rules, they sat together, they took off their devices. And so the NFL said,
0: figure it out, Broncos. All of this done unapologetically, again, by Commissioner Goodell, and he walked the walk. Uh, he bunkered down at home with his wife, his college-age daughters, a golden retriever. Even after the Super Bowl, him and his fellow executives, they enjoyed drinks, yes, but they were masked, they were socially distant, and they were outside. What motivated Goodell to take the pandemic so seriously?
1: Well, you know, this is uh, nation's most popular and richest sports league, and he felt like not only was he helping save the league but but there was a palliative effect of having sports he really felt like hey this is good for the country too we're also finding out about how do you navigate a pandemic how do you work the problem he's big on making lists and redoing them and working every problem and and uh it was leading you know he wanted to lead and make this thing happen and One thing I didn't include in the story on New Year's Eve, he had a family uh, get together and they wanted to toast him and he waved it off. It was constant panic that there could be an outbreak even up to the morning of the Super Bowl. You know, the thought was we can't celebrate until everything is done. And then we might look back and celebrate and look at this accomplishment. But by then they were so exhausted, everybody pretty much just broke down.
0: We'll have more after this break. Sam, so the NFL season in 2020 came and went. Not a single game was canceled. And most of the games were played in nearly empty stadiums. And slowly they started letting more fans in. Now we're in 2021. Almost all the stadiums are going to be packed. Some are going to be asking for masks. Some not, depending on the state. But the NFL still is taking coronavirus seriously. Now the big issue is vaccine uptake. Nearly 90% of the league's players have at least one COVID-19 shot. It's almost like the NFL gets still. That coronavirus remains an issue. And they're now role models. In the way to live with it or even fight it?
1: You know, 93, actually, percent of the teams are vaccinated, and, and some of them, like Tampa Bay, are 100% vaccinated. And the league is taking it very seriously. There are some thoughts now about testing every day. In fact, the union wants to go back to testing every day, even with vaccinated players. The Delta variant is so pernicious in the way that it spreads. And so everyone's on pins and needles here still, because of how quickly uh, and aggressively the Delta variant can spread, even among vaccinated people. And it's a longer season. The season's one game longer. And also, as Larry Farazzani, the general counsel of the league, said, if we screw up 21, nobody's going to remember what we did in 2020. We have to get it right this time as well as last year.
0: So they understand we're role models on this and everyone's looking to us, especially after the success of 2020. If we mess it up now, forget it. Yeah, that was
1: one of the things that surprised a lot of people about this uh, Los Angeles Times story. It is not in Roger Goodell's nature to take a victory lap. And so people within the league were a little stunned that he was willing to talk about the season and in effect, potentially jinx it by talking about how they assembled the 2020 season, because the threat is still out there.
0: So you mentioned earlier that the CDC was really involved with the NFL and the NFL Players Union during this time. And I understand that they got together to do a scientific paper based on their findings? Both the NFL and the
1: NFLPA and their doctors and infectious disease experts collaborated with the CDC to author this paper about a defining high-risk close contacts, and I referenced it before. For instance, the, the notion that the virus is not passed from player to player as it was expected. I mean, these guys are three feet apart breathing in each other's face and it's sweat and blood and everything. And the virus had sort of a fingerprint, and I believe it was they work with Yale, to determine the origin of a virus. So in other words, if somebody got it from someone at home, it might be a different strain than if they got it in the locker room. So they were able to go back and and determine that this virus uh, had not jumped the line of scrimmage, if you will. It was not traveling from team to team. If someone turned out to be positive on one team, it did not mean that somebody on the opposing team would be positive after their game. What they did determine was that a a little bit of time in an enclosed space was very effective in spreading the virus. And so, as I referenced before, someone riding in the car for maybe three minutes could transmit the virus to someone else, another passenger in the car. And so that information about what defines a high-risk close contact was part of this study that the NFL did with the CDC. And so that was sort of how that was used and how, how do you then take that template and superimpose it onto schools or onto healthcare facilities those kinds of things outside the sports world that was part of the NFL's mission or it ultimately became part of the league's mission
0: Sam thank you so much for this interview
1: thank you Gustavo it was really fun
0: And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, our masters of disasters come back, this time to rain doom and gloom on energy because we need a lot of it and there ain't enough of it. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, Marina Pena, and Ashley Brown. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb, and our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. Special thanks to Hibba El-Orbani. Like what you're listening to? then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us the Puccia Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and desmadre. Gracias.